You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined by Shotgun Spratling and special guest Chris Trevino back in the studio. What helps the bi-week blues other than a special guest? And so that's why we brought on Mr. Trevino. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me back. Um, the restraining orders did not hold up in court, so <laughs> I'm allowed to be back, and I'm glad to be back. Yeah, we're surprised that you're back. Forced his way back onto the show. He not, did. Not just was a guest, and then we didn't ask him to come. He's like, hey, I'm going to be on the show. I'm coming. Yeah, I was standing on the parking lot, and they were coming in. I was like, hey, guys, I'm ready. <laughs> and, and you can't miss him because he's got highlighter colors on right it's now. It's true. This he, is my fit. He's like a construction worker. Right yeah, now. he looks like a, a like a little Pac-Man neon action cone going on. Do you over like there. My, my Nickelodeon shoes. Yeah, you're just styling <laughs> all the time. Anyway, moving on. Uh, we have a lot to talk about. First off, breaking down USC's 28 to 14 loss to UW. Also, looking ahead to the rest of the season. Where do the Trojans go now? We'll be doing some fun superlatives. Chris, you always bring a wrinkle to the show when you come on. So we're going to be talking about top players surprising players, all that good stuff. Plus, we'll be answering your questions. Thanks to everyone who sent them in. And as a reminder, you guys can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spreaker, and Megaphone. You can also email us your questions or submissions to our podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. Chris, since you've been on the show before, no introduction is needed. Let's go stock up. Shotgun, who you got? I think I got to start with Stephen Carr. Obviously, his his best performance in a, in a couple weeks, especially after being shut down the last couple weeks. Had the big runs and you know showed that he's got the burst coming off the edge to be able to break the the angle of the of the safety there, Cam Williams to get the sixty yard run. You know I, I think that he is a guy if you're going to block teams, especially if they're going to put five in the box, he's a guy that needs to get the ball in his hand with a little bit of space and he can create some some big plays for you. Yeah, I like that stock up. I mean, not the greatest car performance uh, last week against Utah. I know fans were really getting on him, everyone on the P. So I really enjoyed watching his performance. You know, a little bit of that dynamic speed coming at. I almost got ran over on the sideline once. I was not expecting that that big run. I was just like, oh, gosh. I don't know how you do it down there, Shotgun. Welcome to our world. You know. Yeah. I have Max Williams. Yeah, I did too. You know, obviously a really great story that we've been following for like six months or so, just his recovery from that ACL injury. To be able to like play in a big game like this, first of all, play this season at all, considering how fast he came back, just a really great story. And then to have him come in, essentially start the game for Greg Johnson, who was sitting out for a, a violation of a team role and just... You know, got a sack on his first series, I believe. They credited. Um, they finally credited. I went and made sure about that. <laughs> Shotgun looking out for number 24, Max Williams. <laughs> but, you know, I didn't see any mistakes from him. He, the moment wasn't too big. You know, he was out there. looked like didn't look like it was just his first game, first college game ever. And I really liked what he did out there. Yeah, I had Max Williams on my stock, stock up as well, as well as USC secondary. I was concerned coming into this game. I thought they, that Eason was going to pick them apart, but I was really impressed by how they came out. I thought they had a good energy, which I'm preempting my herd on the sideline, but I thought that they came out and had a serious tone and played well. I thought Isaac Taylor Stewart, uh, I talked to Greg Burns about it, and the word that we both used or the phrase we both used was he grew up a little bit. He, he became uh, more solidified in his role. So I thought that given the injuries to that, position group they really stepped up for this game yeah I definitely had them on there as well uh looking on the other side of the ball another guy who's getting his first opportunities Liam Jimmins he had two drives they gained 149 yards I mean 60 of that was the Stephen Carr run but you know he had a big uh, block on that 
probably got away with a little bit of holding there, but hey, if they don't call it, it still counts. Uh, so he, he came in, and the offense kind of took off then. They had – that's 33 more yards than they had previously on their first six drives of the game. So, you know, he came in and sparked the offense. Whether it was him or not, necessarily, you can always, you know, give a little credit to anybody on the offense there when it starts going. And, you know, when he came in, that's when it happened. So he's a guy that we've watched – you know, go from you know gaining weight from when he was in high school. Keely interviewed him when he was in high school to yep. see him the the weight he put on, how he transitioned with that on the defensive line side. You know, to slowly work his way up that rotation and start getting some reps late last season, and you know, being there and you know, be a rotational guy to making the switch over to the offensive side. That's been kind of a you know, kind of a, a nail in the coffin for guys' careers at USC. You know, whenever they make that switch, no one's been really, you know, playing much when you, you made that switch, Jacob Daniel, Dominic Davis, those type of guys. Yeah. Whereas he has just slowly, gradually, or maybe not even slowly, but gradually improved from when he first moved over to the offensive line. He made a big jump from the beginning of spring to the end of the spring, and we saw another jump to fall camp, and now he's in the rotation. You know, he's a guy that they wanted to get some reps. Uh, I think Keeley talked to Drevno uh, about it. Yeah, I talked to Dimmons on Tuesday about it. He actually said that he knew all week long that he was going to get an opportunity at UW. Uh, I think that also speaks to where Andrew Voorhees is at, because it kind of looks like Dimmons is now the sixth man, and I, I'll I'll talk about Voorhees on my stock down, actually, but uh, he knew that he was going to get those opportunities. And I asked him, like, hey, when you got in, the run game kind of picked up there. Do you attribute it to, like, your production? And he was like, no, like, you can't. It's not a one-man game. Like, it's it's a team, a position effort. So, But he was like, I was really glad to, like, get that opportunity when I did and, and get those snaps. So, And, and Clay Helton was really uh, positive about uh, Jimin's 10 snaps. So it'll be interesting to see uh, his progression there because it looks like he's making big strides. I just want to point out that I did say earlier in the season, I think he's an NFL caliber offensive lineman eventually. You did. You did. Yeah, I mean, I also had Jimin's. I don't want to, you guys talked a lot about him, but I also had him and I talked to him right after the game. So I had him right when he came out of the locker fresh room. Fresh off. Fresh the off the performance. You know, he was, he was like just getting with his vibe. He was very happy and like yeah. he seemed like he... You know, obviously he hadn't watched the tape yet, but he felt that he did well. And he mentioned that, you know, we were running the ball really well, so I felt good about it. And, um, yeah, he said there was, like, no nerves or anything. Uh, You know, there wasn't any, like, fear or anything. Just being in a real game as an offensive lineman. And he was, you know, chill. And he was like, yeah, I'll just do what I had to do. Who else do you got, people? I mean, I had a fun one. Ooh. You're allowed. Go. Okay. (laughs) Drew Richmond's accent. Okay. Why? I had never heard him... Speak before. I know Keely had interviewed him. I told you about this. I was excited about the accent. Right. Hearing about it and actually hearing it are two different things. True. So I asked him to do an interview. I didn't hear the accent come out because he was on the phone and he was like, let me call you back. I didn't really pick it up. And then I asked him a question. And then it was like, whoa, like a whole bunch of molasses being dumped on me. That's <laughs> Southern drawl. It, is, wa- it is a good draw. I just wanted to sit on a porch, drink some lemonade and talk about life. <laughs> you could still do that with him. I could. It's a great, you know, bye week opportunity sure get on that chris (laughs) on the other side of the line i got marlon tui peloto i thought he was a beast in the middle of the line i mean he's been terrific all season but we just continue to see him make plays over and over uh the one time he actually gets pushed back maybe the first time all season ends in an 89 yard touchdown run which tells you how important he's been in the middle of their line uh because he and jay tofele are doing so much that is assisting everyone else around them by clogging up everything in the middle, it's allowing other guys a little bit more freedom, I think. So he's a guy that just continues to, to work his way. His stock just continues to go up. He does he does such a good job with his hands as well um, that 
you're, you're starting to look at those two guys and go, at least I am, looking at them going, are they going to be around next year? Because the way they're playing right now, they they could continue to work their way up, and if the right person gets in their ear, maybe they take off and, and leave for the NFL draft after this year. Yeah, they've been they've been studs up there. Uh, my final stock up is Marquis Step, uh, career high ten snaps against UW, and he also got a first quarter carry for the first time in his career. So it looks like he's getting more into that rotation. Uh, so. I know USC fans have been clamoring to see more of Marquis Step. He's that bruiser type of back, and it uh, looks like he's this, his stock is up. Showing off the completeness, though, that little run up the sideline with the tiptoeing, the big run up. Yeah, True. just showing a little bit more of his game. Just like, don't classify him as a bruiser. If you talk, if you tell Mike Jinks that, he'll he'll get mad. At True. You. <laughs> I mean, Dan did ask him, "Do you feel faster?" And he was like, "I actually do feel faster than I did my freshman year." And and, and Dan was like, "Well, you're a power back. Like, are you supposed to be fast?" And he was like, "You can do both. I can definitely do both." So it's interesting to see his duality that way. Uh, my last one was the H back position. Uh, USC has been using it off and on throughout the season with Josh Follow, Eric Cromanhook. I thought Cromanhook did a really good job blocking there. I think Josh Follow got his most snaps this season uh, as a tight end slash H back so he, he's getting back in the rotation a little bit more but he did get injured in this game unfortunately for him so we're going to put him on stock up the H back position itself averaged 11.1 yards per play when the H back was in when they instead of lining up guy at tight end when they lined him up in the backfield inside of the tackles is what I define as the H back they averaged over 11 yards so that tells you you know, what they're able to do using that. And that was a key because of those five-man fronts or five-man boxes that Washington was was showing a lot is they were getting an extra blocker in there. So it's not just your five linemen. It's a six blocker with the with the H-back as well. So now it's six on five, and Washington wasn't adjusting, and that's when USC was able to get some of those big runs in there. All righty, well, let's move on to stock down. Mr. Trevino, who do you got? It's not who, it's what. Okay. Uh, I know you were a little jumpy last time about stock down. Sure. I got a... Up close look at the turnover sword. Oh. I, I don't like it. What? I don't. I don't. Maybe you guys like it because you guys have seen it more, but I don't. Well, we here on the Family Feud podcast has have dubbed it as the football kebab. Okay. The football, just, thank you for introducing me to the correct terminology. Yeah, the football kebab. That's how we uh, dub it. That's how we address it. So it, <laughs> I feel like it has more of a better description of what it actually is. Maybe it'll grow on me. The more I'm on the sidelines. What do you not like about it? Just the design of it? The look of it? What is it? The design, I I guess I, I needed to see the sword up close, but it just looked like a... It's kind of cheap. Yeah, it's kind of cheap. I'm like, come on, you couldn't give out a couple more dollars to get like a real... Go to a blacksmith, get a real sword. A blacksmith? Mix. Yeah, Forge and Fire. No Forge and Fire. Shout out my Forge and Fire fans who listen to this podcast. But in terms of the turnover robe and the football kebab which one do you like i didn't better? see the robe last year when jay tofele had the scoop and oh, score you don't right, remember the robe right. he put when on? you were on the sideline right i would say the robe is better than the sword really yeah no i would disagree i think you need an action item yeah, yeah but the, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with that but i just think you could think of a better action item no you have a drum major that stabs the field during the game or before the game you know, why not have a football being stabbed by a defensive player to take it back? We're taking this. This is mine. What about a mini pony? <laughs> like a traveler that gets to ride it around the turnover traveler. There, I just did it. Look at that. Well done. All right, I'm done with this. The traveler <laughs> over? Travel the travel over. over. <laughs> See, he's in on it now. He thought it was a joke. Now he's like, 
<laughs> now he's like, this is going to work. Well done. Don't you want to see Jay Tufele riding a mini horse? That is true. <laughs> I would like to see that. Don't you want to see that? Yes, I would. That poor horse will have to be put down after, but. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, shotgun. What do you got on the shotgun? Don't you dare cut that. Oh. <laughs> Um, I most of my side downs are related to wide receivers. You start with Valus Jones Jr. He just he didn't play a snap on offense in this game. We've seen him not very be in there very much. I still think there's opportunities to use him as a speed guy to either push the safeties back. In this case, it, it's hard to push the safeties back when they're already off the screen on the broadcast when they're 15 yards deep to begin with. Um, but just the fact that he is not being used at all. You know, he went to the transfer portal, decided to come back to USC. He was a starting receiver last year. He's just not been in the mix at all. And his stock continues to kind of slide down when you don't even get in at all. It's very puzzling because, like, when you first talked to him after he came out of the portal and, like, I talked to him, like, two weeks into camp or whatever, and, like, I asked him about how his, you know, learning the offense. He was like, man, it's great. I love it. I love this offense. I can't ready to do what I came to do here at USC. I'm ready. And then just, like, nothing. It's just been very confusing and puzzling. Like, can't get him in there couple times just like yeah it seems like there would be more receiver rotation yeah overall. i was about to say what do you make of this lack of rotation i know carrie colbert was asked about it on trojans live and he was kind of like he's like things could change i was like what he, he like talked around the question to begin with and then he's like but I'm, I'm not gonna say that things won't change basically he's like it, they could still change i mean i know you want to have amon ra st brown tyler vons michael Pittman on the field but and I know some games, like the Utah game in particular, where you ran 25 less offensive snaps than you did against BYU, you're not necessarily going to want to rotate because those guys are plenty fresh because your drives are three plays or less. But when you go on some of these extended drives and you're going tempo, that's the best time to mix in receivers and, and do that. And you're not see, you see in some guys and you start to wonder, are they 100% on every snap? You know, is Tyler Vons and Michael Pittman, neither one of those guys left the, the field uh, on Saturday, are they 100%? Are they, you know, 80%? And then the, then you start going to the debate, is Michael Pittman Jr. at 80% because he's ran nine straight plays and he's blocking and maybe gets rolled up on from behind on a play that comes out to the outside. Is he at 80% better than whoever your next guy is? And maybe that's what is going into this. You know, if, if Brew McCoy and and uh, Kyle Ford were re- healthy and ready to go, would that change it? I don't, you know, there's a lot of question marks there. I think you would still want to get some guys in there, just give them opportunities. You know, if you're running, especially on some of those drives where you're running seven runs in a row, I know Michael Pittman's a good blocker. I know to, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown is a very willing blocker, but Munir McClain can get out there and block somebody. It's okay. Those extra reps, even if they're just doing that, those help because you learn how quickly the, the defensive backs move. You know, how quickly are they going to move to try to get by me on a block type of thing? You know, you can learn some things with that extra reps. So I would definitely be rotating uh, more at the receiver position, even though it means taking those guys off the field for a snap or two. What do you make of Drake London kind of solidifying himself as the fourth receiver? I think he gives you something that his size and his his ability in that slot get, changes the, the offense a little bit. He's a, he's a bigger guy. He usually gets up like a smaller kind of corner, and he's got this unique – ability to come down with the ball and and he's and he's fast he's super athletic and i think that that's what they're kind of going for with that slot position i feel like they, they've just basically used him instead of a tight end like normally we just split the tight end out here but you know eric Croman hooks the starter and we would much rather have drake london if we're going to throw a pass i think that's kind of their thoughts like this is a similar body type he can block as well I think that I feel that it's more like that rather than 
okay, we're going to use this position in a certain way. It's just like instead of having the tight end right now, let's just put London. It's a, you know, kind of an exchange of bodies, you know, similar body types. And he's more athletic, so maybe he makes a catch or makes a, you know, makes a guy miss and can do a little bit more with it. So it's like they see him as like a Gronk or like a, the Uber, like the flexed out tight end that. Yeah, to an extent, like he's the Vernon Davis or something that you can, you know, you move that guy out and, you know, that's where they're better suited. Some of those Stanford tight ends uh, that you've seen in the past, you know, the Colby Parkinson, you know, the way they use him, they sp- split him out so much. I, th- I think maybe they see him that way. And they're just kind of using him as that split out tight end, more than necessarily just a slot receiver. Maybe that's what, where they're at, and that's why you know a guy like Velas is not getting in to that spot because that's supposed to be he's the start. He was listed as a starter this week, even though they've taken him off a couple weeks ago. I don't know if someone just grabbed he's an old, old graphic, graphic yeah. or what happened there, uh, but you know he gets in there and he's a different body type and he's doing different things. I think. I think it's more that than necessarily going, we want a big receiver there or we want this certain guy there. It's it's kind of a tight end replacement is what it seems like. Because teams are going to try and take away your other options, like a, a Raw or a, a Pittman, do you want an inexperienced guy like London as your fourth option that might be open more, more so than the other guys? Because, I mean, I know some USC fans are like, why are you targeting Drake? He's yeah, so So I got on my stock down actually throwing the ball to Drake London because <laughs> it's not ending well right now. You know, when they've tried to – and part of that is the defenses that are, that are being run, those plays over the middle, the, the two interceptions that you know were intended for Drake London, those are very difficult throws to make. Those are NFL-caliber throws. And Matt Fink is, is inexperienced, his first start. He's not, he's not making those throws yet. Can he make those throws? Yes, we've seen come, some of the balls he's thrown over the middle. He zips some in there during practices and stuff. But in the game, it's different. You know, the, the throw at the end of the game that was intercepted by Cam Williams, there's a hole there. There's a pocket. But that's a really tough throw that you're asking that guy to make. That's probably not his best option to throw either because he's going to have to time it before Drake London gets beyond the linebackers so that he can – fit it into a tight window in front of the safeties as well. It's just a very tough throw, and you're throwing it to a freshman as well. And Keely, when we were watching the, the film study, doing film study last night, she's like, why does he continue to kind of run his route on that instead of stopping on it? His, his momentum's kind of carrying him, but I don't think he read the defense as well as he possibly could to know that there's a safety coming across to jump up, you know, kind of slow his momentum, jump up straight up instead of jumping kind of with a lean uh, and letting Cam Williams come in front of him. You know, both of those guys were – way off the ground on that one, which, uh, you know, it's give credit to Cam Williams for the interception there, but Drake London could probably could do a little bit better on it if he has more experience in there. And like I said, that's just a, a very tough throw to, to ask for him. But I think, again, that goes back to the tight end point. It's like you would rather have Drake London trying to beat that play instead of Eric Cromanhook. Yeah. Or maybe even Josh Follow because, you know, he's got a little bit more athleticism. So if you throw that ball high, he can probably jump up better than Croman Hooker or, or Follow can. Yeah, that's a good point. I think it also goes back to what we were just talking about with the rotation. If he got more playing time and got more a little bit more consistent catches and looks in the offense, then he'd be more ready to make plays like that when you put him in like crunch time or big moments like that. Yeah. And I will say that week we on this podcast, we had talked about being anti throwing to inexperienced players on critical uh, downs. And what happened? They were doing that for Drake London, so it was almost premonition. But Drake London's kind of moving to the point past, you know, just being a true friend. It's not the Josh Follow true. red zone against Washington State, his first pass ever. You're throwing a fade to, to a guy. You know, he's been in there. He's going to experience it. Just, it is not being successful right now because the defense that are being played, you know, the drop eight coverages are taking away that, that middle throw 
and that's where he's gotten you know a lot of his yardage against Stanford and stuff. You've seen him on doing some different things on option routes when they when they flex out five wides and stuff in the middle of the field. And again, that's something where he and Matt Fink were not on the same page in that Utah game. They tried a couple times with an option route, and you know it was thrown different direction than which way that London went. So those are the things that like that's when you're like, okay, we got to figure out how to get guys on the same page. And part of it is also you've cycled through three quarterbacks, so getting sure. on the same page, even for the experienced guys is a little bit more difficult. And then a guy like Drake London who's getting some playing time but not getting a ton of it, you know, it's hard to be when you're being asked to, okay, you decide which way to read the defense and then we'll throw it that way. And, you know, he and the quarterback just haven't been on the same page so far. Yeah, and that's since I had Matt Fink on stock down. Um, I yep. think he showed why he ended up being third on the depth chart at the end of fall camp. Um, just the word that kept being used by Graham Harrell's decision-making, making his reads. I thought UW secondary really had to force him to think, and he didn't always make the right decisions. And so, you know, I think it will be – I think USC's coaches will welcome Keenan Slovis back. I know there was talk beforehand, ooh, could Matt Fink earn a starting position? And I think this game kind of settled it, that you kind of want Slovis because they think his ceiling is higher than Fink at this point, and I think it kind of settled that. Uh, another thing I had on stock down, which kind of what we've been talking about, uh, you know, with Fink as well, but the four receiver sets, you know, having those options out there with Drake London um, being in there, making the right decisions on those plays. USC only averaged 2.2 yards per play when they went to four wide receivers. So usually when you go four wide receivers, you're looking for chunk plays, you're looking for completions that are, you know, five to five to 50 yards in there, and they weren't getting many of them. You know, they only averaged 2.2 yards per play. So, you know, the, the four receiver sets really struggled against Washington. That's something they've had some success with previous in the season. You know, when they spread out to five wides, they've had a lot of success, but not necessarily in this game against Washington. Is that the most they've struggled with the four wide receivers? It is. Interesting. Um, so I have two more stock down. I already alluded to this one, but Andrew Voorhees, I had him on stock down. I know, Chris, you had heard a couple of weeks ago, actually, that there was some delay in Voorhees' return and, and how he struggled with that injury. And then the way that Clay Helton talked about it on Tuesday it just seemed like it seems like it's going to be a, a season decision rather than a, hey, we'll work him back at some point. So that's TV right now, but it looks like it's trending that way. And then this one was kind of obvious, but I had Clay Helton on stock down. Uh, this is a game where... It just doesn't look good. I know Fox had a CG that Heldon's last uh, road win against a ranked opponent was the 2016 UW game. And so after five and seven season, you just have to win games. And Clay Heldon's just not getting it done, especially on the road. So, of course, his stock has to be down. Show me back to Voorhees real quick. Yeah. I'll have more on that in the war room uh, coming up this, this Friday. But, yeah, I mean, it was a point where Justin Dietrich was actually your sixth man that they were training yeah. for guard. And now – and I guess – everyone had to look around as like i think we need more we need more depth guys so i think that's where liam jimmins was like well jimmins was hurt at the time that was right. BYU, going into the byu game jimmins True. did not play in that game so that was part of the reason i think ditch got moved you know let's let's get an extra option out there because we didn't know if jimmins was going to be ready and now jimmins has kind of moved back ahead of him i think now that he's back healthy yeah that's a good point there so make sure to watch out for the war room plug 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 anyway let's move on to hurt it on the sideline shotgun Let's start with you. Heard it from the wedding. How did you watch this game? <laughs> yeah, so I was at a wedding this weekend. Would it be an, an away game? I was willing to go to the wedding. If it had been a home game, I probably had to skip it. But now I was in the Redwoods. It's a beautiful venue. I was up in the middle near Santa Cruz, so not much service at all up there. You know, and there there was only like one Wi-Fi spot at the entire grounds, I guess, campgrounds, because it was literally in the woods. Uh, we were having a pool party before the wedding uh, on Saturday, so I was trying to watch some of the game on my phone, 
and I probably caught 15 plays in the game. You said they were all critical plays. I did. Too, I right? did watch a lot of critical plays somehow. Like I would turn my phone on, and it was like, "Oh, John Houston just got called for roughing the passer. He's targeting." And then like my phone, the service would go out, and I come back, and I'm like, oh, "John Houston's back in the game." So I guess the targeting got taken away. Um, you know, I, I saw the interception. I saw the, the on the goal line. I saw the 89 yard touchdown run. Um, so there were a couple plays that I saw, and, and like after the 89 yard touchdown run, I was like. I think I've seen enough, you know, I, I, with how spotty the service was, I was just like, I give up trying to watch this game in and out because my phone was dying too. And I was like, I think that's kind of the, the, the dagger. Now, when I rewatch the game, I give USC a lot of credit, credit for continuing to fight. They had opportunities. There yep. were chances. A lot, give of, a lot of credit to the defense in that fourth quarter. You, you get the turnover on the, the trick play attempt and then back to back three and outs to get the ball back for the offense. Just the offense couldn't put it in the, in the end zone. Yep. Question in the pool: Do you wear a hat? <laughs> no. That's going to be cut out by Keely. So I'm just going to. Well, go if this. you keep saying that, I'll have to cut it out. But no, yeah, I, I know like, that's the loophole. The people want to know about Shotgun's hat usage, so <laughs> I'll keep it in. Chris, yes, you were my sideline buddy this week. I was. Uh, I'm going to start with something that's not technically hearing it. That's fine. But seeing it and it kind of plays. Okay. Anyway, uh, after uh, Chris Steele's fumble recovery on this weird. Pop Warner, trick play, whatever. Uh, obviously, he has oh, right. the, the, what was it, the kebab? The football kebab, The football yes. kebab. Stands up on the the uh, bleachers with a couple guys showing it to the, I didn't realize this would be such a controversial tweet when I put it out, but people hated it. Why? On, What'd you say? I just said Chris Steele celebrating his first turnover with the Trojan turnover thing, yeah. showing it to the Washington the crowd. Trojan turnover thing. <laughs> Listen, if it was a horse, it'd be a different thing. Just <laughs> going back to the horse. Um, but some of the replies I got in my mentions were, where's the stupid penalty award? Uh, you're down 14 points and showing up a sword. Not a good look. Give them a break. They need something to celebrate. Um, I don't know. I'm not uh, that I mean, I didn't have a problem with it, is what I was saying. I was interested that so many people like hated it, but like, let them celebrate. I mean, and given they the did something good. I mean, they yeah. were doing their jobs yeah. in the second half. Yeah. I mean, it was, the stupid penalty award could be given to Talano Hufunga. I mean, I think that's what the reference was I to. Yeah. I mean, that, that 15 yarder takes him out of plus field position. But again, if, if they score on the next play, if they throw the 44 yard touchdown pass on the next play, like they did, you know, I think the drive earlier. It's a touchdown game. Are you not supposed to be excited when you make a big play and you're trying to get your team back in? If it was last year in the Utah or Texas games, yeah, I understand that. If you're down 31 points or something, it's much different. But there's still plenty of time there. Yes, you should be excited when you make big plays. Even if it's early in the fourth quarter and your offense is struggling. You know, the defense continue to make give the the offense opportunities. Um, So, yeah, be excited. Especially it's the first one. What, yeah. What is wrong with what is wrong with having fun in college football? I know there hasn't been a ton of it around USC, but what's wrong with it? If you're doing, if you're playing well, you should be able to have fun. Yeah. You make a play, it should be able to happen. Now, if you're down 28 points and you make a tackle, the worst ones to me, it's not a turnover. That, that you should celebrate every turnover. But when you make a big hit or something, or you make a nice hit and it's 20 yards down the field, giving up a first down, hey, it's third and 18, guy gets 22 yards and you hit him hard, you're like, yeah, I'm flexing on him. I'm like, uh, dude, you, you just gave up the first down. What are you doing? 
Turnover is much different, though. Do your job and celebrate what needs celebrating. How about that? I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that also. In the same vein, I mentioned this already, but I had defensive energy. I forgot who did it, but someone before the game started kind of uh, pulled in the defensive guys, the defensive starters, and, and kind of gave them a little pep talk. And then I thought the secondary in particular, uh, Chris Steele was really locked in. I just felt like there was this energy from the secondary that I thought was really cool. It seemed like they were all professional and, and wanted to get the job done, which they're younger guys. So it was cool to see that from them where um, they just looked very serious about what they were doing. And I think sometimes from other USC teams, guys were a little bit showy or, or all about the talk and not really about getting it done. So seeing the the seriousness from that group was interesting for me to see. Yeah, just jumping right off that to my other one, it was for me it was Greg Johnson. He was on the bench. Really, yeah, like he obviously he did not play that first quarter for that violation of a team rule, but like the second Max Williams came off, he was like all up and it was like, You did your job. That was awesome. And then he was like better that coaching him up coaching him up and then you know when he got in every time they would come up every time they have a good like three and out or a stop they'd be like this is it we're doing it guys keep it up keep it up keep it up he was very much like a vocal energy point for that for that sideline and i remember one quote he was like they held him to a field goal and it's like they can't mess with us no more they're only getting field goals from this point on and i think that was before that they gave up that touchdown later but that was the only score they gave up after he had kind of said that so yeah, and I, I remember one time when USC's offense didn't really get it done after they got a stop, and you could kind of see that the defense was a little like deflated, and I remember him going to all the guys sitting on the bench, the defensive backs, and just going like, hey, we got this, we got this, and like high-fiving everyone and, and just keeping the energy up. And you need guys like that. You need guys to keep the spirits up when things aren't really going your way. So I thought that was, was great for, to see from him and just from the defensive backs as a whole. Yeah, I saw more energy in general from the defense than I did the offense, I would say. Yeah, and I talked about this on the Dan pod. I really liked the the vibe or the the energy that the defense brought. I thought and I okay, I hate this because I lean more on if you're doing your job, you can be however you want to be on the sideline. This is the first time I actually thought that the offense seemed a little bit too casual on the sideline. And I hate reading into that because you could look at me at any point in time and be like, what is she doing? She looks like an idiot out there and like I might be doing my job. So I hate criticizing <laughs> people like that, but I just might be doing her job. Hey, but <laughs> but I thought that this was a weird some guys kind of were talking to like support staff or people who weren't like in the game and were a little bit too casual for my liking. So that was just something that stood out to me. But I don't know if I necessarily want to go full criticism on that. But it was something that did stick out to me. Yeah, the only person I really thought I saw like trying to get the energy going was Michael Pittman at times, especially when they were like struggling to finish drives and stuff like that. I saw Keaton a couple of times, like, come on guys, let's go, let's go. Like when they were huddled up, ready to go on the in the field. And I saw Helton a couple of times go up to like all the linemen. He's like, let's go, let's do this. But nothing like what I was seeing on the defensive side. Yeah. Which makes you wonder if like, if you had a starting quarterback that started all five games or whatever would you have more of a built-in leadership there versus like oh we're rotating through guys at the helm each week i don't know how that like disrupts maybe the leadership that you could have at that position especially when you only have one uh, captain on the offensive side once again yeah um, I, I got a instead of heard it on the sideline seeing it on the broadcast and, sure. and you guys can probably chime in on this but seeing the devastation on Talano Hufunga and also Matt Fink's uh, face when they get get the two penalties you know for spiking the ball and then for jumping a yard and a half on the field apparently um penalties that didn't have to be called that were called and hey maybe it's by the letter of the book but the spike was in between four usc offensive linemen and it wasn't like there's a big circle around them to celebrate this big spike it was just raw emotion 
Yeah, I'm in on with. I was right there watching it. He didn't like really spike it. He just kind of like threw it. It looked like a spike to me. I I don't agree with the Talanoa, but if you're Fink, you're kind of inviting a flag there. Like do something else, but a specific spike is kind of like in the lexicon of like we need to throw a flag. He didn't wind up. He threw it down right, from, when I see a from spike, his chest. I'm going all in spike. Yeah, there was no overhead beach volleyball style. You know, it was from his chest down and like I said, there were three people like right in front of him. It's in between a crowd. He's basically just throwing the ball to the ground. But the me. ball was he was already on the ground. The ball was already on the ground. He picked it up, stood up and then spiked it and then like did a scream. Uh, I know. I'm just spike saying it. it's a spike gate. I'm just saying you could be a little smarter. It was a very Pac-12 call to me because you have players, you want them to show emotion, you want player, you want to you know, you want those highlights to show up on Sports Center and the national shows, and instead we're going to penalize that. Good take, Shaka. Probably the best take all year. Wow. You obviously haven't been listening to the show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any other hurt it, Trevino? In that fourth quarter, the defense sort of, obviously the offense wasn't helping out much, but it kind of felt like the defense was like, all right, screw it. We're just going to go out there and play and do what we want. And they seemed to be like having fun. I saw like smiles and I saw like, like, let's go, let's do this. Like, I feel like at some point they realize the offense isn't going to punch these scores in, but let's just go out there and like do our thing. It felt like they got a little bit of a swagger. I know they lost the game, but I felt like they gained something in that fourth quarter. Like, all right, we're good. We're a unit. We can do this. We can make stops. Like when the, the Washington fans were uh, chanting like FSC or whatever, like Paul Pal- was like, come on, bring it. I don't care. We're here. Let's, <laughs> Bring do, it. Let's, let's do this. That's what I kind of felt just watching them in that fourth quarter. And I kind of felt like they picked up some swagger. I don't know how it's going to play in Notre Dame in an environment like that, but we'll True. see. Or maybe down the line. But Yeah, that was an interesting thing. I felt like there was this is a weird good layer for the defense. It felt like a uniting like mm-hmm. game for them, which was interesting to see, especially when you are missing Hufunga and OG. So I'm curious how that group gels once you get those guys back. So. Interesting to see that dynamic. Especially two swagger guys like OG true. and Talanoa. Very Silent true. swagger from Talanoa. But still swagger. But still swagger. <laughs> now moving on to the special Chris Trevino segment that you bring each time you're on a podcast. Chris. Oh, yeah. I just wanted to do a little mid-season superlatives as someone who did not win a superlative in high school. I thought we Neither could Neither did all... I. Shotgun did. I know Shotgun did. Yeah, I did. What'd you get? What'd you get? <laughs> Class clown. Oh, oh, I'm not surprised at all. Which I shouldn't have won. My best friend was much more humorous. Was there anything... Well, we know you're not funny. Was there anything you thought best. you were going to win? Or mad you didn't win? No, I don't I didn't care. Best smile? I definitely... Best hat a, usage. That one I would have won. Definitely. Did you wear hats back then? I've worn hats since I was a little kid. Since he wow. came out the womb. Wow. I had a little, little fitted on. I don't think they made it fitted. But yes, the very <laughs> first pictures I have are with me a hat. Wearing a hat. Wow. Chris, why don't you explain this segment to our listeners? Yeah, so we got like maybe a dozen superlatives. We're just going to throw them out. Like an example is defensive MVP. And then we'll just kind of throw out our guys. Maybe we can talk about it a little bit. Or maybe it's just a consensus. We'll be like, yep. I think there'll be like three consensus out of all these. Really? Let's jump into it. All right, let's start. Overall MVP, who you got? I'm starting with, I'm I'm going outside the box. I'm going to go defensive line. Okay. The defensive line has been the MVP of this team so far because they've allowed them to, you know, kind of gloss over some of the other mistakes. You know, the linebackers haven't played great at times. There's been some mistackling from the back seven as well. Uh, the secondary is very young. 
but they've overcome a lot of that because the defense line is you know borderline getting borderline elite. They're not there yet, but they're they're closing in on it. When outside the box, I'm sticking traditional picking one person. I said Talano Hufunga. I don't think there's a strong like bam this guy or this unit is the overall MVP. But I went with like a guy who's just been ripping it up the when he was healthy before he got the concussion. And that's uh, Talanoa for me. Uh, I think he, I picked him to have like a big breakout year. I think he's been doing that. Um, it hurt that he wasn't there on the field uh, against Washington. Um, but yeah, I'm going with number 15. I run the risk of either copying you guys or taking away my offensive MVP. So I don't know where I should lie here, but I think I'm going to take away my... Just do it. I would say USC's wide receivers as overall MVP, especially when you have the turnover at quarterback that USC has had this season. I think having those safety blankets of just elite receivers who can track the ball down and bring it down, and I think that's part of the reason why you win games like Utah, I think they have really stepped up more than, I think, exceeded expectations, and the expectations were high for them coming into this season. So I'm going to say USC's wide receivers. That's actually a pretty good one because the two games they've lost, what's been the focus? Let's take away the receivers. I mean, yep. there at times, the five men in the box that Washington was running, that means there were six defenders for three receivers. Because even when USC put that H back in, you got six guys in there with the running back and the quarterback. You got three receivers out, and they're like, no, nah, we're just going to keep these six guys out here. We'll double team all three of your receivers and force you to beat us with the run game, with your tight end, with whatever else, but not these guys. And that's what's happened in the two games they've lost. You know, they've thrown the three interceptions. The turnovers have been a huge part of it, but the turnovers have happened because USC's like, we got to get these guys involved. We got to do this. It's been re- revolving around those receivers. So that's actually a pretty good call. And my favorite quote of the season so far, one of my favorite quotes is Kyle Whittingham be- just being like, after the game, we had no answer for Michael Pittman. Like, he did a number, these wide receivers did a number on us. So anytime you can have a head coach say that about a position group is pretty interesting. That's a nice segue into my offensive MVP, who is Michael Pittman Jr. Yeah, so we just do that on 3-2-1, Michael Pittman Jr. I had USC's wide receivers, but sure, let's go Pittman. Yeah, I think it's he's been the dominant. I mean, his numbers are terrific. Uh, he's got four touchdowns to lead the team. I think he has uh, – he was – he had the – at the time, he had the biggest performance so far this season by a receiver. I mean, he's got 35 catches for 501 yards. He was – Coming in the last week, he was in the top 10 or top 15 in both those categories as far as receptions and yards. Um, he's averaging 100 yards per game right now, 100.2. Wow. Because he's got 501 in five games. Um, but he, he's been the big play threat, but he's also been a guy you can throw it too short. He's blocking on the outside. He just does it all. He's a beast. Yeah, coming into this week and last weekend, he was he led the Pac-12 in receptions, number three in the nation in receptions, and seventh in, in the nation in yard, total yardage. So. Yeah, and that was after two weeks of not getting in the end right. zone and Chris saying he's got he's going to get in BYU. Moving on to defensive MVP, I don't know if this is going to be a consensus. I don't think it is. Okay. I, don't th- I think it's uh, it can you can take somebody off of each level potentially. Um, I've got Drake Jackson. I think the freshman has changed things for them. I think those defense tackles are playing fantastic. But I think without Drake Jackson, I think there's a much bigger hole without Drake Jackson, especially yep. because the injuries to Christian Rector. You've seen the other guys have cycled through behind Rector. You know, Connor Murphy was the guy to get the start at BYU. He gets replaced in the second half by Connor, by Hunter Eccles. Juliana Falatnico takes that spot last week. You know, they've kind of rotated through those guys. Caleb Tremblay got more reps this time. I think they're trying to find something there behind those guys. And those guys each have had, you know, nice moments, but no one's been consistent. So if you were cycling through those guys because Drake Jackson chose Arizona State, 
you know, I, I think there's a big drop off there behind yeah. him and Rector, and Rector being banged up. I think he's been huge for this defense. There's some other guys, obviously Talanoa, you know, leading the team in tackles going into last week, um, but I don't think his imp- you know the impact there was missed as much as if Drake Jackson went on because he's just making some impact plays. It seems like every game. Yeah, I mean, Talanoa is my overall kind of. Oh, you divvying them up, but like. That was my second pick is Drake Jackson. So I'm kind of pseudo joining you with the Drake Jackson show. <laughs> I'm joining both of you because I had Talano Hufunga, but I also agree with Drake Jackson. So I, I'll I've put convinced two. you both, I think is what it is. Uh, but uh, you can't deny Hufunga. No, I was already like looking at the train, getting my <laughs> ticket ready to give it to the, like the train, like the deciding the, like, which yeah, ticket I was to like, buy. <laughs> is that what you're saying? You're stuck at the window like, I don't, am I going to go northbound or am I going to go west? I don't know. Let's, let's. I'm getting on the Drake Jackson Express. Okay. So you changed it? Yeah. I was, I was loading my baggage on okay. when he was like, yeah, yeah. sure you were. Sure. Okay. Well, moving on to special teams MVP. I One, mean, there, there's two, really two choices. I mean, Chase McGrath obviously has been fantastic. You could go with Valus Jones. He did have the 100 yard return, but the rest of the returns, not, not putting this on Valus Jones, but the rest of the returns have not been outstanding. Valus is doing a nice job back there. He's making guys miss much better than he had the previous two years. But I think we all agree that Chase McGrath, he's been solid, he's been consistent, and he's been perfect so far. Yeah, and a good story coming back from that uh, ACL tear. So yep, without a doubt. Easy. Moving on to most improved. I went with the secondary. Okay. Interesting. Okay, I can um, see that. Yeah, I think Greg Burns has done a heck of a job with that unit, just considering how young they were, no experience essentially, and just kind of all this talent is kind of turning it into something, and they've played well. I mean, I think we all agree they grew up big time against Washington. I think they had another uh, other growing growth spurts throughout the season so far. And I don't think they've had really like super terrible games or anything like glaring like, oh my gosh, this. Because I know that was a big thing like, oh, the secondary is going to be the, it's what's going to hold this defense back to start the season. And I don't think that's happened at all. Yeah, I mean, you. I would, was expecting more big plays, you know, to yeah. give up some and people to be hounding them and going, these guys are terrible, you know, similar to when Jack Jones was playing as a freshman as a sophomore, similar to Iman Marshall was playing as a freshman. So even Odori Jackson, his yeah. sophomore year, people were, he's giving up so many big plays. I kind of expected that more, but they've done a great job keeping everything in front of them. There have been a couple of big plays, but I, I think that they're playing really well, especially for the amount of experience coming into the season, which was like seven starts combined for the entire secondary, which is a ridiculous number for five spots that, that are on the field 95% of the time. So I, I think they've been great. Um, but I actually went in a different direction. I went with Pallier and Itiote. Mm. Now, this is most improved from the first game of the year. I think he's gotten better each week. And I think his reading react is doing uh, much better. He's making impact plays each week, which is what why he continued to be in the lineup. I think even though he was struggling to to um, see some misdirections and you know the handoffs and the, some of those things that have have struggled and, and having seen that some of those plays have been able to get outside against USC and stuff. I think that he's doing a much better job now, which is why you didn't really see a bunch of outside runs from. Uh, Washington, they were able to, to have a lot of success. And I, I think that he's, as he continues to progress, it changes the defense too, because he is such a weapon, you know, when he's attacking. And, you know, even just the hustle he show, he's shown on a couple of plays, there was one in this game where Drake Jackson kind of stood a guy up. He had blitzed from the other side. You know, Trey Adams, I, I think it was Trey Adams, was, was blocking him. 
and he decides he continues to press after it, even though the play's already passed him, and he gets a big hit on the running back. Now those it wasn't going to change the fact that Dre Jackson already held the guy up and you know he was going down for a tackle, but those are the hits that have an impact later in the game. You wear down uh, the offensive players, and man, if you go back and just watch that game, anytime they put in a fullback, it it seemed like he and the the fullback and and Natiote were going face to face, and there was some big hits, some big thumps. You get very audible hits on the broadcast. So you know he's a guy that is going to provide those big hits, and I think. As he continues to improve, the defense will improve too. So I went a different route for this. Nothing wrong with that. I said Eric Cromenhook. And I think that's just because the tight end blocking in 2018 was just so bad. It was it was a liability. That's how bad it was. To the point where I was like, put a six lineman there because they're just not getting it done. And I think he stepped up as far as blocking goes. He's been flexed out sometimes. He's been a better receiver option, even though he's not targeted as much. But I think that just given how bad the tight ends were and how much they were a liability, I think you have to give him most improved. Uh, that's a, a great call right there, just because of how last year the tight ends were the worst ranked players on the offense on the team as a whole. Not the worst ranked position group, the worst ranked player, players. All of them together were all at the bottom. So, you know, they're, they're blocking much better, especially Chrome and Hook is doing a much better job there. And the way they're being used in this offense is H back. And, you know, it's kind of a pseudo offensive line position fullback spot. Yeah. Um, you know, when they put him in the backfield, I, I think that that's, you know, he's been doing a good job of coming across formations, wrapping around, doing some different things rather than just being, you know, a straight on blocker. And maybe that's helped his skill set, you know, it, you know, used his skill set a little bit more than, you know, just having him try to block a defensive end on the end of a line of scrimmage. I, I think that he's doing a really good job up there. Yep. Let's move on to top offensive linemen. Who you got? I got Austin Jackson. Uh, I think he's, he's a, a beast over there. I think he's a future NFL guy. He and Elijah Vera Tucker side by side have been terrific for them. And uh, you know, this, there's a big difference between the left side and the right side where you've rotated some guys in. Um, I think Austin Jackson is just you know he's the anchor on that left side on the offensive line as a whole. I figured you were going to go Austin Jackson, so I didn't want to like copy you. I you know, know I love me some Austin Jackson. I know. But I went with AVT, the big old mauler. Friend of the show. Not really. We've just talked about <laughs> all 2018. We did do that. You know, he's the, uh, you know, Liam Jimmins is the AVT this year. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's a good, that's a good point. I but, guess we're know, just for linemen underdogs. Well, we're also seeing them do well, and then they get in the games, and they're doing well true. again. So true. I think we, people should just trust what we say. Sorry, Chris, you can t- continue. We're <laughs> no, done with I our just, ego boost right now. <laughs> as we just established, we've all been fans of AVT for a while, and I think he's doing what we thought he would do, which is be, being a very lockdown left guard and being a mauler out there. I know he's not perfect, but I think he's like obviously my pick for top offensive lineman. I have both of yours. So thanks putting for them together. You okay. picked, you thanks for explaining it, guys. Yeah. So you copped out. Pretty much. So I had this one. open. I wasn't sure. I couldn't decide. Austin so. Vera Tucker? <laughs> yeah. Austin Vera Tucker. Mm-hmm. All right. AAVT. AAVT. Moving on to defensive top defensive linemen. This is a tough one. I think this might be the toughest category on the entire thing, just because there's three guys that have been playing phenomenal. Brandon Peely actually behind them has been really, really good too. Uh, he's not getting the sacks. He's missed a couple opportunities there, but you know he's his yards per play when he comes in the game is actually one of the lowest, if not the lowest, on the team. Um, but I'm going with Marlon Tupelo too. I talked him up earlier in the. He's the, underrated. Yeah, People I forget think so. about him. Yeah, he's he's back from the back injury. The strength is there. Just the way he uses his hands, the way he gets his hands on offensive linemen and controls them rather than the other way around. 
I think he's been phenomenal. Jay Tefele's making some great plays. Drake Jackson is as well. Uh, and, you know, if I have defensive MVP, Drake Jackson, it's hard to go away from that. But Marlon Tupelotu has been a beast in there, and it's changing the way teams have to attack USC. Yeah, I also went with Marlon. Just reading your rewatch notes and that that play, he got pushed back, and you said that's probably the first time you remember seeing him get pushed back this season, yep. which is a big thing because you watch every single snap. <laughs> so I'm like, that's money. Take that to the bank. So I'm going with Marlon grown man in there and i remember jay talking about him during the byu week like man uh, marlon's a beast uh he he doesn't get the love down there he's taking up double teams for us you know he's so uh, we're giving him some love here as as my pick too with rightfully so he's he's a quiet professional he's usually the first one out on the practice field he like he just gets the job done and so i think we're rightfully giving marlon some love after i think the stanford game it was i was talking to chad k I just love this quote about it, and it tells you that, hey, people should be watching him probably a little bit more. He said, Marlon's a stud. I absolutely love Marlon Tuipelotu. The kid does everything right. He works hard. He keeps his mouth shut, and he just goes forward. I mean, he's by far. He said, I don't want to see he's the biggest surprise, but he's a guy that when he came in, he's like everyone was talking about Jay Tavelli as this talented guy. He's, he said, Jay's an animal. He said, but Marlon, when you talk about consistency, doing his job, just being a leader by example in the front, it's amazing. Absolutely love that kid. When your position coach tell, you know, drops a love multiple times, it's not quite the same as the, the Clay Helton love of my life type of thing. Yeah. You know, this, Deep dark love. It, it's not any of those. This was, you know, because why a position coach loves a kid is because it makes my job so much easier. I can just put that guy out there. He's doing everything I say. He's a leader by example. He doesn't, he doesn't run his mouth. He just, he just goes out there and beasts, and that's what Marlon has done so far this year. Without a doubt. Now I think we can all – Say this on one, two, three. Best freshman, Drake Jackson. Drake Jackson. Which Drake Jackson. maybe before BYU, you go Keaton Slovis. You never know. Maybe. And Keaton Slovis could still end up having you know the best numbers. You know, we'll see what Drake Jackson does the rest of the season as well. He's getting extra. He's getting extra attention now already. You know, five games in, there was one play where he took up three linemen. You know, three blockers um, in in the Washington game. It was a stunt, and they ended up creating pressure and create a, a holding call on the other side. But all because Drake Jackson, you know, everybody's occupied and going, watch that guy. 99. 99. Make sure we're looking at 99. You're ruining all the little fun tidbits from the film study. Well, in this people podcast. get to watch it in video form. Then. True. So it's a teaser, an appetizer. <laughs> and I just kind of love the, the off on the field comparisons of Drake because, like, on the field, he's like this beast, just like unstoppable at times. Just, and then off the field, he's just like this giant, nice kid. Yeah. Uh, just like so like holding his little baby brother like yeah, in a just po- post game sunglasses like hey guys you guys want to talk to me you guys yeah. want to talk to me why do you guys want to talk to me um, I remember when I told him hey nice body slam he's like thanks <laughs> <laughs> thanks I appreciate that yeah don't don't ever change Drake Jackson that's what I'm saying just stay the same just stay the same but change Pac-12 reps and don't call a penalty on that true <laughs> moving on to biggest surprise five games in I'll go first or are we doing one two three go for it I had okay before everyone gets mad at me. I had OG. Why would anybody get mad at you? I don't, I don't know because people were like, oh, OG's this five star. OG was going to be great all along. Well, I mean, if we watch some of the stuff he did last year, he struggled a lot at times. Um, got gave burnt us, by Vic Wharton in the Cal game. And I think people were a little bit, and you know, he made all those plays in spring, you know, interceptions. But I remember we talked in about fall because he didn't fall, practice in spring. Right. Fall. Got me. Got early, me. Early in fall. And uh, I remember we talked about, like, a part of his game is that that gambling, that, you know, trying to get yeah. away with it. And sometimes that's going to probably lead to him getting beat. 
And I know that was a big concern going into the season, but he's been pretty like a lockdown. I think he, he was number one in the Pac-12 for a little bit and passes broken up, passes defended. And he's been, you know, arguably their best quarterback, you know, before he got the back spasms. Yeah, I mean, Keely and I have, have pointed this out but or before, but we love the way he comes out, comes up and is willing to be an active tackler, active yeah. participant in the run game. You know, he's not just standing out there and is being blocked and waiting and, okay, if the running back gets to me, I'll try to make a play. No, he's throwing a guy out of the way and going up and throwing his body in there to try to take somebody down behind the line of scrimmage. He's been fantastic. And I was worried about the same thing you said, about him being, you know, too over-aggressive. And I even wondered, will he even – Will USC start him? You know he's been fantastic, but I was looking at it and going, Isaac Taylor Stewart is is a safer bet. You know, does Clancy Pendergast really want that gambler? Um, because that hasn't always been what Clancy has wanted uh, as far as the cornerbacks. Because he wants to send pressure with his linebackers and stuff, so he wants those guys to be able to cover on the outside. And I wondered if that would happen. Do you go with a safer guy? Because Isaac Taylor Stewart, a lot of times, is right there. He's not giving up big plays. You know, he may give up a catch in front of him, but he's just kind of solid and stays behind a defender. Whereas OG's going for that big play, and that can be that goes positive and negative a lot of times because uh, of the way the the aggressive nature there. If he get, bites on a double move or something, and there's been a couple times where he's been beat. You know, he got a, the the holding penalty against Utah. Uh, there's been a couple times where. Fresno State, if they could throw a little bit better, they might have connected. But none of them have. That's the, he's been he's been there and made the plays and stopped things when he can, and quarterbacks haven't been able to connect behind him. He's only given up. I mean, he had the, the biggest play was the BYU when they lost containment and you know a, a scramble play where he loses a guy, which unless we get the all-22, we don't even know if that's truly his guy. I think he was, but the way he reacted after it. But he, he's been fantastic for them. They, they're really struggling to throw a ball, the ball against him. And he's making plays, so they be helpful to get him back before you go play Notre Dame, too. Yeah, in that sense, I think one of the biggest surprises for me is just how physical OG is. Like Shotgun already said, so I'm not going to repeat it. The other surprise that I had, Chris Trevino coming on this podcast not once, but twice. <laughs> wait, Wasn't expecting wait, that. Does this mean I finally win a superlative? You do. Oh, my Congrats. goodness. Oh, I'm going to cry. <laughs> Shotgun, biggest surprise. Biggest surprise for me has been receiver usage versus defensive line rotation. Ooh. Good because stuff. Because they talked in the the spring, the fall, we got to use all these receivers. Graham Harrell wants to have 18 receivers on the roster someone said I didn't, I don't even remember him saying that, but I think he said at North Texas they had around 18. Yeah, that's For- a crazy number whereas he comes in in the spring and they have five scholarship guys and not everybody was available every day. Uh so, you know, there's been and so when they in the fall when they get guys in there, it's like, oh, they're going to rotate more. They're going to use these. Kerry Colbert talks about how we got to rotate. You know, it was asked, are you, you know, do you guys have to coach him up on that? He's like, oh, I can tell. And, you know, when we see a guy slowing down, we're going to get him out of there. But they know we're going to rotate. We want to go fast. We want to do – that has not been the case at all. You know, there's barely been any rotation. The only game where they you know, truly handed over a drive to the young guys was in Stanford, and that was basically one drive. That was it. And you see Devin Williams is now at Oregon because there's no rotation. It's part of the reason why he's gone. Uh, whereas the defensive line, in the past, it's like, don't you want to rotate some of those big guys? Stevie Tuukolavatu is playing like 80 snaps a game. He's just he's just a brick wall in the middle. But don't you want to get some other guys in? And they've done that. You know, maybe that's the effect of Chad K and him having maybe a little bit more say over that. He's doing the rotations, uh, and, and I think that they're they're moving those guys in and out, keeping them fresh. And you're seeing how well the defensive line has played. But I will say. 
The rotation's pulled back a little bit against Washington. Maybe that's quality of opponent. Drake Jackson did not come out of the game. He's a beast, and they're like, we're not taking him out anymore. And maybe that's also partly because Rector is banged up too. Yeah. Uh, there there's some could be some factors in it, but something to watch the second half of the season as well. I mean, Chad K said that in the fall. Like, I got to keep Drake on the on the field. I got to keep him on there. But they have been rotating. And, you know, he's played a, a good amount, but also guys like Nick Figueroa and Caleb Tremblay. Those guys are getting 10 to 15 snaps sometimes in games. So that's what's different. Whereas previously it was like, we've got like three guys that are rotating. We're rotating the defensive tackles, but the defensive ends, like Christian Rector, I think he has still has the most total plays in a single game by anyone on the current roster. He played like 93 snaps in a game. That's crazy for a defensive end. Whereas now those guys, like Drake had his most uh, against Utah, and I think it was 70 or something like that. So the, the numbers are just much different because they're rotating guys more. Moving on to biggest letdown. I'm going to go with tempo. Okay. You know, I, I thought that they would be going quickly all the time, and that just hasn't been the case. You know, you thought that that's what you would see out of their raid, and it's been more Steve Sarkeesian's first year where you ran a ton of plays against Fresno State and then suddenly just pulled everything back. Maybe they realized that, hey, we can't go at that same tempo and be successful on the defensive side. I don't know exactly what it was, but you know, when you hear air raid and you hear no huddle, you expect to, to be going at a much quicker pace than what they've been going at. And he seems okay with the tempo, right? We've asked him multiple times, and he hasn't really said as much. Yeah, and I don't know if that's him just putting on a, a strong yeah. face or wh- whatever it may be, but you know, the tempo has not been what I expected, at least. It pains me. pains me. But Ben Griffiths. I had all caps, Ben freaking Griffiths. <laughs> I will never talk about a punter preseason ever again. I learned my lesson. I'm sorry, everyone. I apologize. This is my official we apology. Were, we were gaslighted. We were. It was such a... And even in practice, we still see him punt long, far, good punts. It's the most important story no one's talking about. What <laughs> happened to Ben Griffiths and his leg? I think that's it has to do with the coaching and what they've asked him to do. You know, the, this is the first game where there were multiple punt returns. Um, I think there was a change in philosophy maybe. We'll see going forward after he had that 24-yard punt early in the game. You know, one of the things, one of the biggest issues I have with him is on his pooch punts. You know, when you're trying to down the ball in the, inside the 20, there's been too many that have been between the 10 and the 20 and not enough between, you know, the, the goal line and the 10. And I think he just, he needs to change the target on those. And that's partly the coaches telling him, you know, I don't think they would consistently keep where they're at. You know, the, before when they were in the inside the 20, you know, he had six punts and only one of them was inside the 10 yard line. You know, inside the twenty, uh, and those were all between thirty-three and fifty yards. You know, he can kick fifty yards, I think, easily. But against Washington, after that short punt, the twenty-four yarder that lands on the eighteen, after that he goes forty-two yard punt at the five, fifty-four yard punt at the six, forty-eight yard punt at the twelve. So maybe there was a change in philosophy there that hey, we'll we'll let them try to return a punt uh, if they want to, but we're going to be more aggressive with it, with it. And Aaron Fuller had three punt return attempts for 26 yards. You know, before that, USC had given up one punt return through the first four games. So I, I think that maybe there's a change in philosophy. We'll see if it continues. You never know. You never know with this team. They show one thing, and then suddenly it's like, where, where'd that go? That was looking good. Why don't we go back to that? Um, so, but did people think that his punting efforts were better in that Washington game after that first one? They were mad in the first half. Uh, because the punting net average was 36.7. On his on his four punts inside the twenty, so that's back to where you're 
net average was before that people were freaking out about? I don't know. I'm just <laughs> saying. I just answered the question. I'll That's cover it on my participation uh, notes, the th- eight things you may have missed this week. Thank oh. you. Thank you. Plug, plug, plug. Mm-hmm. Moving on to Primed for a Big Second Half. He just talked me into Ben Griffiths. Oh. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm kidding. Could be. I picked Marquis Step. Okay. You know, I think we're finally seeing him emerge. You know, that, that rotation on uh, Saturday was the most, like, balanced we've seen. As you, as you pointed out, first carry, quarter, first quarter carry. First career, first quarter carry. There it is. You're welcome. Thank you. I think we're finally seeing the emergence of him as a consistent runner after all these fans have been yelling and people have been like, get 30 the ball. If there's like an injury and then steps moves into like a secure, at least the second back, I think we're going to see some more big plays out of him. And you got to note that USC hasn't had a running back injury yet. Right. And that's very rare that a guy doesn't miss a game. So I uh, wouldn't be surprised to see him in there. I have question mark for run game. I started to put that as my prime for a big second half. You know, they ran the ball really well against Washington, but I actually ended up going with Talano Hufunga. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that I was debating between, you know, most improved and prime for big second half. I thought him and EA both are kind of prime for a big second half. I think EA's playing much better. I think Talanoa, once he comes back from the concussion, I think he, he's been playing phenomenal. I think before he got injured, it was – Five of the last six games, he's got double-digit tackle numbers. So he he's a beast, and he's only going to continue to get better and better because he's he's only a sophomore. He's a young guy, too. Now, this is kind of a leap of faith for me here. Mm. After I just said that I should stop pumping people up a la Ben Griffiths, I still just – what I talked about earlier, I think this defense had a good layer of, of solidification, if you will. Is that a word? Not sure. Sure. I think they will get better. I think there's a lot of inexperience, and it only helps each game. Now, granted, I'm saying this right before the Notre Dame game, which will make me eat my words. I understand that. But I think in Pac-12 play, this defense uh, could be pretty good. We'll see. I dig it. We'll see. I dig it. Now, for our last superlative, biggest storyline for the second half. I think this is pretty easy. I've, I've defined it as job security. You know, Clay Helton, where does he sit? Where does this team go? And how does that affect Clay Helton if he even gets to the second half? We've heard a lot of rumbles that, you know, previously that if he doesn't win by the bye week, then that's when they can make a change. We didn't hear those from our sources, but that was kind of the outside noise that was going on. The bye week's here. They haven't made the change. You know, but his job security going forward, you know, what happens after Notre Dame? If you beat Notre Dame, how does that impact things? Rivalry game, obviously, a top 10 matchup, I mean, a top 10 opponent there. How does that affect where his job security lies? And then going forward from that, there's a new athletic director. When does that happen? You know, the job, the job there as far as you know, having an interim guy, where's the job security? Just job security around the athletic program um, and, and how that affects the football program, I think, is the biggest storyline for me because that d- defines the program itself more than anything that happens on the field. Yeah, I wrote just one simple question, just where does the season go? In so many ways, it could go so many different directions. AD, Clay Helton, even just at the sense of they could very well be three and three in a week, and you have some tough opponents still in Cal and even maybe ASU. So can USC get it done? Because we've seen them be at a tipping point at a win-loss record before in 2018, and you, if you would have said, oh, yeah, they're going to lose three straight, you probably would have been like, ah, I'm not sure about that, and then they have a 5-7 and seven season. So it has the makings of that could go that route again, 
but that's what I'm saying. Where does the season go? Do they turn around? Do they fix things? Is Clay Helton here at the end of the season? There's a lot of things that could happen, and it's USC. Anything can happen. So <laughs> On any day. On any day, any moment. So that's why I'm just like, where does the season go? What happens next? I don't know. I knew you guys would do like big picture stuff, and I'm glad. So I was like, definitely need to talk about that. They did it. I did more of like of an on-the-field thing. Okay. I went with, is Keaton for real? Hmm. I think – We'll finally get to see in the second half kind of because we, you know, we saw what he did against uh, Stanford. Stanford. And then you had the BYU, which, you know, great performance against Stanford. Stanford, not a great performance against BYU. Two plays against Utah. So you don't know really what what would happen there. Don't know what would happen in Washington. Now we get to see him. Presumably he'll be back for Notre Dame and then the, the final stretch of the season. So we'll finally get to see which Keaton is going to show up for this final stretch. Yeah, and if Harold was right in his his hype game i mean after stanford he was kind of like i told y'all i told y'all and then we didn't really get to get a good uh sense from him after byu but he's still hyping up his man so we'll see if that plays out for the rest of the season stick by your man stand stick. by your man <laughs> stay in that stick it's a country song well then don't ever change that <laughs> <laughs> well, you 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 did lie though we have one more superlative do we sneak attack superlative S- second half record Second half record. Just That's not this. a superlative. That's your just a superlative. <laughs> that is a prediction, not a superlative. So I got seven games left in the regular season. I, I can go first if you want. Go, go for, go it. for it. it. I went five and two. Losses to Notre Dame and ASU. So you're saying they beat Oregon? I predicted that. I I predicted an Oregon and Utah win in my ten bold predictions for this year. So I have to stick with that. As much as I would like back off of it, but I have to stick with it. So that so. puts them at eight and four for the season. Yes. I'm thinking I'm probably going to go with that. I don't know. I'm not going to guess which games they win or lose because if they beat Notre Dame, they'll end up, my guess is they'll end up losing a game they shouldn't. It's just that it feels <laughs> like that's the way it will work. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think they ended up at, at eight and four there. That's a, that's a great possibility. I think I said pre prior to the season that they would finish nine and three. And then I adjusted after, JT Daniels got injured you on said, this show. You said eight and four. We both said eight and four. Before the season ended? Yeah. Well, better than I thought. I think I'm going to adjust to seven and five. I said eight and four, and I think seven and five. So you're saying four and three? I believe so. I think they lose to Notre Dame, Cal, and ASU comes to mind. So I'm going to say that. I don't know why ASU, but that's what my brain says. So there we go. If Cal's QB is still in the men, then I think they can, they can do it. Yeah, Chase Garbers is out indefinitely as of right now, so who knows when he'll come back. Yeah. But that Devin Monster did not look very good. That Cal secondary in. though. It is good. You know what else would be good if you actually ran the ball? Evan Weaver would have forty two tackles in that game. Because <laughs> that's about close to where he normally gets. Number sixty three, is it? I don't think it's sixty three. It's, it's a weird it's, it's a weird number. It's up there. Alrighty, let's move into questions. First is a tweet from Steve Unger. He says, I know many fans have, but do you believe that the press has given up on Clay Helton? Uh, that's an interesting question. I, I think that there's you know, the, the lack of questions on the Sunday conference call. Now, maybe it was because there was a technical difficulty, but it was just kind of people were resigned. Like, we've heard these same answers before. What new is there to ask about after, you know, how the loss happened? Um, so... That, that's a valid question. Maybe, maybe some of the some of them definitely have. Some of them never were on board to begin with. Um, but 
it, it seems like it's kind of trending that way for sure. Now, if you get a big win against Notre Dame, maybe you go, and depending on how you do it, maybe you go, maybe I'll reconsider. Yeah, I think there's not really much we can glean from Helton anymore from his pressers and like when they come out in, in no pads and in and, and an hour early on Tuesday by week practice, you're kind of like, this is going to be what it's going to be. But I think it also varies based on a reporter's tenure. I think those who've covered Helton for his whole tenure so far are kind of like, okay, it is what it is. We're not going to get much from him. Whereas I think some of the newer guys on the beat are still kind of in it. So I think it varies. Yeah, I mean, I think it – didn't we reach that point last year? Like it was like, okay, let's just – we're we're out on this year. Let's just. Uh, I pointed at the Texas game. I wanted to, and Dan ended up writing this. I think um, more or less, but I always wanted to say like it, it's time to blow it up. Like you've seen everything you need to see, and now this Texas game where you saw that they didn't fight, it's time to blow it up. And I said after the Utah game is like you've seen all you need to see with that current staff uh, that they had then or that that staff at the time that you know, they're not going to win a national championship. Now, what are your expectations for the USC football program if you're the USC athletic department? That's a bigger question. A and, and, question, yeah. And that's you know, why you saw a bunch of changes, but not you know, the wholesale changes, not the firing of the head coach or anything like that. Yep. We got a tweet from Dave from Orange County. He says, The ability to run the ball in the second half against UW, is this an aberration due to UW daring us to run to prevent the big play pass, or are we actually showing some progress with this offensive line? There's some progress there. Uh, I had a chat with Brett Nealon and you know talked about the different things that he's faced in his first five games as a center. You know, and he only played one year in high school, so I think he's improving. the The group as a the unit as a whole has has done pretty well as far as communicating and stuff. There has been a couple of a big busts that have hurt USC quarterbacks in particular, um, but overall they've been pretty consistent with their communication, better than they were in the past. So. There's there's things there that lead me to believe they can continue to improve. I mean, I'm not ready to say this team is going to be a top whatever rushing team in the second half of the season, but I think they're they're getting better and their improvements are there and we can see progress. Yep, agreed. We got a text from Ryan from Lemert Park. Lemert. Uh, he Lemert. says, Keely, shotgun, have the powers of B finally seen enough from Clay Helton and co? What will it take Trojan fans deserve better? They haven't fired him yet, so technically <laughs> – they haven't seen – they're still on board. They're on board until they aren't. And uh, since he is still occupied as that position, then I guess they haven't seen anything that makes them want to decide to get him out of that spot. We shall see. Our buddy John Embrea says, Stock down Clancy Pendergast for not figuring out how to get Olawole Batiku on the field in three years. Question, how are all the reserve defenders getting better or developing if they never get to play actual football? Would like to point out that the Wole is doing fantastic at Illinois, and congratulations to him and Josh Mortabebe, who's had some touchdowns, and Trayvon Sydney. Those guys are finding opportunities there and, and making the most of it. But should point out that the Wole missed all last season, not because he wasn't good enough, but he had double hip surgery. And how much did that impact his ability to get around the edge and do some different things? Uh, it was a, a surgery to loosen up his hips, to give him more flexibility, and maybe that's paying off big dividends. And I also think that he's in a true defensive end position now versus kind of that hybrid predator role that USC was using in the past. I don't think he was used to his best ability as far as position-wise there. That was the defense at the time for USC. If he was on the defense this year, he'd be playing defensive end. Um, so I think those two things are playing into it both. Uh, I think that 
that's one of the reasons why I said that the rotation of the defensive line has been so much different this year. You're getting some of those guys some opportunities early. Hunter Eccles has been in. Juliana Falanico, guys that you know were not really getting much time previously. They're getting opportunities. Nick Figueroa, you know Caleb Tremblay, you know JUCOs, but are in their real first year playing. Uh, all those guys are getting rotation, so I think they're all getting better as a group. Unfortunately for Wally, it didn't work out for him at USC, and it's unfortunate for us because we didn't get to tell his story a little bit more because he's a fantastic kid, you know, is a well-versed kid. Uh, but good, good for him to be able to go to Illinois and make the most of his situation. Yeah, without a doubt. We got a tweet from Dave who says, are we going to see more DB rotation with the Admiral fill-in job that Steele, Max, and Chase have provided? More rotation? I mean, yeah, I think uh, Burns really likes what Max Williams did on a Saturday I think we'll see a little bit more I think Max is definitely stocked up like we said with that backup role and I yeah. think we'll see a lot more of him rotating in with Greg Johnson possibly over Chase Williams and have Chase maybe stay as a backup to Talanoa at that safety spot um, I think we're going to see the more of that three-headed Chris Steele OG and ITS I think Chris Steele's been playing really really great mm-hmm. um, OG's obviously we talked about him playing really really great so Burns has a good problem on his hands with yep. those three guys with the more depth. But I think we'll see a lot of rotating. And Isaac Taylor-Stewart you know, yep. really stepped up his game last week. Uh, it's basically been Elijah Griffin has started and played that one spot, and the other guys have rotated in, and Steele's gotten a couple of drives each game. I wonder if now it becomes a true three-man rotation. Well, when I talked to Burns, he was like, I feel like I have three corners. It's not just two. I have three. So I think it is a true rotation in his mind. They'll, we'll see when uh, Elijah Griffin comes back, if all three guys are healthy, how they kind of change those up. We'll see what happens with Talanoa's health and everything. Max Williams can rotate in. You know, Greg Johnson has that versatility. He can play inside-outside. A lot of, lot of options there, and they're, they're all pretty much playing well. Yeah, without a doubt. Mike sent us a tweet saying, purely hypothetical question, which I know you love, Shotgun. Oh, geez. If the team you love has a coach who is clearly on his way out, would you rather have the coach fired midseason or wait till the end of the season? What's the best long term for the team? Asking for a friend. Uh, I'll let you answer this because I hate hypotheticals. Probably get rid of in-season. I mean, if we're talking like from a recruiting standpoint, you want that change right then so you know that the kids will have like, oh, someone else is new. Let's keep an eye on USC, not like just waiting for this uh, Elaine Duck kind of thing. In college football, it's better to do it quicker now with the early signing period. But there's also a question of how quickly do you make a hire behind that? Because if you hire, fire someone after the first week and then don't hire someone to the end of the season, that also is a very hard thing. You know, How is anyone going to recruit for them? Whereas if you keep this staff, you know, they're recruiting somebody, they get some commits and stuff, and then the, the kids will look and say, okay, let me see how I fit into the next coaching staff when it gets there. But if there's a big... Uh, pause in between it can lead to get a lot of people like there's no stability there i don't know anything about it i'm just crossing them off now roddy sent us a tweet saying over under on practices with pads prior to notre dame they said that they're going to practice wednesday, on thursday. wednesday and thursday in full pads during the bye week so we'll see what that what, what happens there he I said w- pads not full pads so we'll see what that is it's probably gonna be shoulder pads wednesday thursday and then full pads tuesday shoulder pads wednesday I don't know. I would have a scrimmage, an inner squad scrimmage on Saturday. Well, you're not the coach, so. And I would have it early in the morning, or I'd have it Sunday morning. I'd have it Saturday morning, but so kids can't be out on Friday night. I would let them know Friday as they're leaving the facility. Okay, guys, great. We're going to be back here at 8 a.m. for a scrimmage. Oof. You have Friday night plans? I don't care. You should have won. You shouldn't be three and two. Yep. Well, that's a difference in philosophy. So. (laughs) That's me as a coach, though. 
I love it. Can I be your assistant? Let's go. Wow. Dream team over here. Can't wear any Maryland gear. <laughs> JP sent us a tweet saying, can you guys predict the bowl game that USC will play in? The one with the most ridiculous name. <laughs> Meaning? I don't know them off the top of my head. Oh. There's one like popcorn chicken bowl or something. There's something weird. Whatever that one is. No, I'm a fight. Kicking chicken bowl. Is that a real bowl? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I love it. You're hired. In high school, we had a, uh, our high school team before I played football, but they were winless, and the team we were playing was winless, so we called it Toilet Bowl. Because <laughs> at the end of the season, one team was going to get a win, the other team was going to be winless for the year. That's hilarious. The Bad Boy Mowers Gasparilla Bowl. That's it. <laughs> That's the one. In St. Petersburg, Florida, which yep. the Pac-12 is not affiliated with. But so. let's, let's predict it. Vegas Bowls, probably. Still looking at that one. If yeah. they finish eight and four, I think that's where where you're looking at probably. I am interested to see when the the Pac-12 when the Vegas Stadium opens and the Pac-12 has some affiliation with the ACC or SEC. You know, uh, those should be really interesting games then. Yep. Let's go on to our final question. It's from Dave in Costa Mesa. Lots of Daves today. He he says, could you tell any difference in the acoustics of the Coliseum with the new press box, or would you say it was neutral? Shouts to Stock Neutral Nation with no noticeable change. The acoustics? There's yeah. no shouts to start neutronation in there. Are you just making stuff up in the questions? He said neutral for a reason. No. Let's go. I, I didn't notice anything different, uh, but it also wasn't a packed house in the Utah game. You know, it was a Friday night. Oof. It was a later out arriving crowd. So you know, the the game that still sticks in my mind is the loudest I've been at in the Coliseum is that I've been on the field covering was the Oregon game when USC lost like 62 to 53, just a ridiculous game just because everyone was so hyped because it seemed like every other play was a touchdown. And until late in the third quarter when it was like USC, the USC fans kind of realized like USC's never going to stop them, are they? So we can't, we're down by two scores, 11 points. I think it was at the time. It was like, we're never going to actually be able to catch up. Are we someone? Hopefully they throw the ball to us instead of them. Uh, but no, yeah, I, that was the loudest it's been. You know, that was a, a crazy crowd. That was a game day crowd. But the Utah game, it didn't, it didn't make me think, wow, it's so much louder than it previously was. I, th- I think you need to get a full house, yeah, I think packed you, house before you can tell for sure. Yeah, I think so as well. Didn't seem different to me. <laughs> was it different because you had a different vantage point? Because last year you guys were so much lower in the press box. Again, didn't really notice anything different. About but you're acoustics. part of the wall that could change it, so how could you really tell? <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Sorry. I also am not good at hearing things <laughs> like that. Like I don't pay attention to the bands. Keely always points out. Speaking of which, I'm excited for Notre Dame. Notre Dame is always lit, <laughs> and you never remember, so I'm going to point it out this time so okay. you know. But that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode. Chris Trevino, thanks so much for coming on again. We appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for letting me jump you guys in the parking lot into doing this. Uh, I don't think we had a choice, but glad to have you on anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Nice colors that you brought to the He's giving us death glares right now. All right, but that's going to wrap up the show. That's Shotgun. That's Chris. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 